Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in <laughs> Mark chapter 13, and uh, some interesting things about this verse uh, that we're going to start with, and we're going to kind of get stuck here tonight. I want to take a look at it. it your typical idea of the abomination that causes desolation is mentioned in this verse, referring back to Daniel. And uh, the typical way is to rush forward into the future that someday uh, the, the, the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple, which we'll look at that takes place. But when we put this back into perspective of 30 AD, uh, Jesus is speaking. Uh, you've got Daniel talking about it, and that was going to be apparently fulfilled uh, in 167 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes. Jesus mentions the uh, abomination of desolation being set up where it doesn't belong or in the most holy place because Matthew's going to refer to it. Luke talks around it. It doesn't use the phrase uh, uh, the abomination that causes desolation, but it's talk about desolation and fleeing in the same context. We'll look at that. Uh, then in 66 to 70 A.D., I'm going to give you a couple options because that's what Jesus, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. When will these things happen and what will be the sign? And this is the answer is right here. When you see this take place, uh, flee. And interestingly, it actually happened just like that. It could be fulfilled in two ways. The Jews could have done it themselves. The zealots who rushed into the city took over the temple mount murdered people, uh, had people in the holy place that weren't priests, and then appointed their own priests. And the Christians would have been meeting on the Temple Mount, like it talks in Acts. They would see all this taking place going, oh my gosh, this is we've got a revolt. The civil war is breaking out. And indeed, they did historically fled the city, just like Jesus said. Or it could be the Romans. Again, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer. I mean, it's like, well, what do you think? Well, I know Daniel says it, and I know it was, refer it was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. He does it. He sets up a, an altar, a smaller altar on the altar of burnt offering, offers a, a pig on it, and shuts the temple down. It was an abomination that caused desolation, an abomination, uh, idolatry-type activity that shut the temple. They had to close the doors, and they didn't open it up again until years later. So it was fulfilled right here. But Jesus says it in 30 A.D., you know, 200 years after it was fulfilled. And then it definitely takes place somehow, if, that's, if it's in context or not, either the Jews violated the temple, the zealots did. If it's say, ah, check, that was it, you say, well, no, it wasn't. Well, either way, they did. They used the temple mount and the temple as a fortification. It was the last place they had to stand, completely violating the Mosaic law. The Romans do it when they come in and set their standards up in the holy place uh, before it was burnt, and then they offer sacrifices to their gods on the Temple Mount. So I say, well, that's not what Jesus was talking about. I don't know, but it did happen just like that. But yet you're going to have the future. And uh, this is definitely an option because Paul writes about it the Antichrist setting himself up in the most holy place, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, the Jews didn't do that, call themselves God. The Romans didn't consider themselves God. They worshiped their gods. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, he worshiped Zeus with his own face on the statue. He'd be like, you know, we worship Zeus, and I put my face on it. I, Zeus looks just like me. Well, that's what he did, so that's kind of close, but it's a prototype of what's going to take place here. Daniel seems to be talking about this, and, and Paul does. So what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, I'm just going to dance around this, give you information, and probably the answer is this is history, in a sense, cycling through with God trying to bring about his kingdom, Satan trying to bring about the Antichrist and the opposite, and it could have almost took place here. And God stops that. Um, Jesus says it's going to happen again. This could have been the, the Romans or, or the Jews who were not following Christ, who rejected Christ. They actually embrace false leadership here, thinking they're going to set up the kingdom. Uh, it could have been an attempt there. That cycle through it. And that, that clearly, history went on. And now we're waiting for it ultimately to be fulfilled. And so it's almost like, uh, there's this prophecy hanging there. This is what's going to take place. 
and things you know circle circle around and, and almost are fulfilled totally, and then it falls apart, and then we cycle through again. And how many more times is it going to happen? Ah, I've got Emmy pictures in here because it happens again in 132 uh, to 135 with the Bar Kokhba revolt, where the same thing: the Jews set up their own temple. <coughs> the uh, uh, Hadrian comes in, puts it down, and then sets up on the Temple Mount right where the Dome of the Rock is today, <coughs> where the temple used to stand, he puts up a temple to Zeus, an image of Zeus, and an image of himself, a statue of himself right there, and does the exact same thing in 132 to 135 A.D. <coughs> in fact, I'll show you a picture here. In this wall right here, part of the statue and the inscription is in a rock in that southern wall when they rebuilt the wall. <coughs> they used part of Hadrian's statue, which was, has gone somewhere. But there was an inscription from that statue that you can still see in the wall there. <coughs> okay. So here's our verses for tonight. Mark chapter 13. And uh, we're probably going to have to come back. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. We're not going to be done with chapter 13 tonight. I'm hoping we get done with verse 14 tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of material before I, my life is over, so I'm trying to slow down a little bit. <coughs> chapter 13, verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. Now, we read last week, uh, chapter 13, verses 5 through 13, and basically those were, we talked about, those were the non-signs. What will be the sign, or what will, when will this happen? It, it, these are like not. These are not it. This is not the end. This is not what Jesus is talking about when the temple will be destroyed. This is not it. These things are going to happen continually through history. So these are, for example, uh, when will these things happen? What will be the sign? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. How will they deceive you? In the context here, it would be one example. Of course, it's, it's a wide range. How could you be deceived? In this context, is convincing you that about one of these things that we're going to mention, that's the sign of the coming. Do not be deceived. These are things that will happen, but they don't mean anything because these things are going to happen. Here's the things that don't mean anything. <clears throat> but they are going to happen. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Right, right there. They, I, I'm the Christ. Oh, okay, and they follow. Okay, that's not a sign that I'm coming. That's a sign that someone's imitating me, Jesus would say. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Ah, I hear of a war. They're talking about war. Must be the end. No, don't be alarmed. That's not the end. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So when you see those things, it's not the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in, in various places and famines. Okay, so nations rising and falling and, and earthquakes and famines. Is that a sign of the end? Uh, these are the beginning of birth pain. This is not the birth. This is not the intensity before the birth. This is the beginning of the process. So it's not the end. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local consuls and flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Now this is not going to be a sign of the end. This is a sign that you are serving the Lord until he comes. So what's the sign of your coming? Well, it's not these things. While those things are happening, you're going to be busy testifying to me around the world, to kings and governors, to consuls. And how are they going to receive it? They're going to say, no, no, no. They're going to dis disregard it. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So again, that would be an assumption. That's not going to happen in you know, a couple years. That's going to be a process. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial... And that's gonna, that's, that is, if you sum this up, just looking at this, what is the result of the ministry of Christ going to the nations? Mega churches and entire groups of people flocking to your, your meetings? No, no, no. You're, you're going to be arrested and, and brought to trial. Oh, well, what about the large growth and things? Well, no. You're going to go to trial, but do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever's given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now again, that's under the assumption 
that you've studied, that you know the Word of God, you understand the message so well that you've gone off and have begun evangelizing, starting churches, spreading the gospel because you're proclaiming the message, and now you're arrested and brought in for what you're saying. Now you don't need to worry about what to say because you've already been saying the right thing. The Holy Spirit will empower you. That doesn't say, oh, we don't need a Bible. We don't need to go to Bible school. The Holy Spirit will just empower me to... Well, they're, they're only arresting people that are saying the Word of God. They've got to know the truth to cause this commotion. And if you're just going to run around and just count on and say things, you know, you think the Holy Spirit's telling you to say, you may, not, you may be one of these false Christ, false preachers running around. But so then when it says this, it's talking about people that are already prepared. They've already done some damage to the kingdom of Satan by proclaiming the gospel. So they already know what they're talking about. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, those are signs of things. These, these, are not, these are things that will happen that are not signs. They're just history, and you're going to go through all these things. But if you stand firm through all of this, which it doesn't say how long, it's going to go on. Well, we know it's going to go on for a couple of millenniums at least. But if you stand firm to the end, you will be saved. And that saved is definitely talking about eternal salvation, saved into the kingdom of God, because during this whole process, you're on trial, you're being beaten, you're being accused, there's going to be death because of Christianity, you're going to be hated by all people, you're going to be saved into the kingdom of God, not necessarily saved from pain and trial and uh, you know, being martyred. So in the context there, it's definitely got to be talking about something bigger than this age. Okay, verse 14 is our material tonight. This definitely starts to answer, <coughs> again, it's going to answer when and the sign. When and what will be the sign of these things? And these things were the destruction of the temple and the sign of your coming. And so... He's going to answer this as we go through this. Like I said, your answers, I'm going to present to you tonight. When will these things happen? Well, it already happened in 167 B.C., so that's not it. It could be 66 to 70 A.D., but I'm going to give you a couple examples of people trying to accomplish this. Uh, Pilate, before Christ said this, and Caligula is trying to, uh, the emperor is trying to do it uh, after Christ said it, before the Roman wars, and he's trying to bring the Roman... Uh, standards with the eagles on them and the images of the emperor into Jerusalem, even into the temple, and he's planning on doing it. People are advising him not to do it. And then fortunately, well, depends on how you look at history, he's assassinated, and uh, that never takes place. But they're already trying to do it. Here, something's going to happen here. We'll look at it. But then, like I said, 132 to 135, which is part of it, but you know, how does that work? And then the future of when this takes place. Those are going to be our options. And here is Jesus saying, as he's continuing to talk here, he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Now that phrase, let the reader understand, <clears throat> and you're going to have to deal with this in your, your own self, your own study, your own convictions is probably not something Jesus said. I know it's in the red letters. He could have said it. If you want to go down that road, if it's in the red letters, Jesus said it. Uh, uh, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. So if that's taking place, then Jesus is telling, he's got four disciples that came to him privately and asked him, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he notices that Matthew's jotting some things down. Wait, wait, Matthew's not there. He notices that John is jotting some things down. And so he would have says, uh, standing where it ought not to belong, let the reader understand. Then he'll, he'd have to write that in. Now that could happen. Jesus said, hey, oh, if you write it down, let the reader understand. He could have said that. Or most likely, this is a well-known teaching because Matthew, Mark, Luke all write about it, um, that something is taking place right here and either Mark, when he's writing this, is putting this little footnote in here or an editorial comment, let the reader understand. Because if Jesus would have said it, it would have been something like, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Or something. You know, in other words, he would have said, you know, 
you know, may, good luck in understanding this, or may God's power empower you to hear this. He would have said something. Listen, if you have ears to hear, hear what I'm saying. Uh, so this would be probably, I would say, Mark putting an editorial note in his. Or if you want to come a, get a little looser with the Scripture, it could be Mark wrote this, and now as people begin to read it publicly, they write a little editorial note in the text so that you make sure you don't make an adjustment, which I'll show you a little problem with the, 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 the verb tense, not the tense, but the, the neuter and the masculine uh, form of the words. They may want to make an addition. And it's like, no, no, let the reader understand. Don't change this. This is part of Mark's cryptic. And that, this is why I give you all these numbers. It's because he's writing it. I, I'm, t- I'm teaching you. You don't have to agree with me. He's writing this in a cryptic way so that someone on the inside, if you've heard Jesus' teaching, you know you're tracking with this. You understand what we're saying. But if you're just your typical Roman passing by or the government looking into the written, it's like you don't find any offense with it because I don't really understand what you're talking about. doesn't matter. But uh, it is probably written in, in cryptic. Now, I'll say this. <coughs> and what's happening in this verse kind of supports this, and you don't have to agree with this either. Uh, but the Gospel of Luke was written, I'm, I've got to say, now different scholars have different ideas, and it depends on where you fall on your understanding of church writing or the writing of the text of scripture luke is writing the gospel i would say between 57 and 60 a.d while he's in caesarea uh while paul's under arrest he's with paul and so he's interviewing people even talks about eyewitnesses i know i've told you this before but it kind of uh, it helps out here tonight a little bit so he's writing probably finishing his gospel of luke i'm saying 60 a.d because when he goes to Rome, or he could have finished it while Paul's in prison, you know, in Rome. Pick all his paperwork and finished while Paul's under house arrest. But he writes Acts, and Acts has to be sent, the final edition has to be sent in to the publisher. I know there's not a publisher in that sense, but Theophilus is the one who's financing it before 62 AD because Paul is released in 62 AD and the and the book of Acts ends with Paul still in prison the Jews coming to visit him the Roman guards standing it the Romans are guarding Paul who's renting an apartment who's under arrest waiting for his hearing with Nero Uh, the guards are watching the Jews come and there's no problem there's a Christian under arrest by Nero with the Roman guards watching him and Jews are freely coming and moving around in Rome talking to a Christian who's under arrest by Nero, being guarded by a Roman, and everyone's just like, well, have a nice day. Hey, we'll see you guys tomorrow. And it's house arrest. It's not prison, not chained to a wall, not Philippi being beaten. The church, some church, someone's, if it be the, the, the Philippians sent some money over, uh, the, the Colossians finance part of it, uh, the Roman church, they were, someone was supporting Paul, paying his rent for his own rented apartment. So that's how the book of Acts ends. In 64 AD, Nero is burning Christians. Peter gets executed. Paul gets arrested again in 67 AD. The Jewish wars break out in 66 AD because Nero's running out of money. So he, he sends Vespasian, one of his generals, over to go plunder, basically, and summing it up, Go in there and plunder the Jewish temple. We need the money over here. So Vespasian is marching on the Jews. The Jews are causing their own problem. They're they're stirring things up. So by 66 AD, Vespasian is engaging in the Roman wars have already broken out with Jerusalem. Again, 64, 65 AD, things are heating up. So Nero is killing Christians in 64. Paul's been released from prison. 67, he's arrested again. The Jewish wars are breaking out in 66. Uh, the Sanhedrin is, is scattered. The church is run into capitalists. Uh, you've got total chaos in 64 AD. There's no hint of that in the book of Acts. There's no even you know, sly prophetic utterance that you know, you're writing now in, in 85 AD, pretending you're writing in 62 AD, and you're just going to kind of fake like you know what's going to happen. There's no clue that this is going to take place. Does that make sense? I mean, that's, that's 
uh, what the text says, and that's what the examination of the text would show. This is legit. Okay, nonetheless. So Luke wrote the gospel, but he also wrote Acts after the gospel. So if he's going to write Acts and be done by 62, they give the guy two years to write the book of Acts. He's going to be finishing the gospel in 60 A.D. Mark, we know, wrote Peter's account. Uh, Peter dies in 64 A.D., so he could have started writing in 64 A.D., but most likely 65 A.D. Now, this is important as we're looking at this, because the Jewish wars, things are being stirred up. Vespasian's on the move. Uh, There's been some skirmishes. There's been some threats. There's been some arrests. There's been some street fighting, some things between Roman and Jews breaking out in Caesarea. By 66 A.D., we are in full battle mode. Not full battle mode, but the, the wars have begun in 66 AD, and they're finalized 70 AD, kind of a midpoint. We'll talk about this around 68 AD. So Mark is writing, if he's writing right after Peter's death, which church history says that's what's taking place, he's writing just weeks, 65 AD, 64 weeks, months before some of these things start coming to pass. And so he's writing in Rome after Peter's been executed by the emperor. So he's writing to the persecuted Christians in Rome about persecution, about what they're to face. And so all of this is going to have to be a little more, you know, when you talk about what's happening, going to happen in Jerusalem, the prophecies, it's like, oh my gosh, the prophecies, there they are. They're, they're, they're coming. You can, you can smell them. They're here. You can hear them. Uh, so he's going to be a little more cryptic in this. Now, Matthew. Matthew is going to say the exact same thing. Now, Luke doesn't talk about the abomination that causes desolation. He talks about desolation of Jerusalem, and he talks about armies and he talks about fleeing. He says, when, the, when you see the desolation of Jerusalem, flee. Now that's what Mark is talking about here. Matthew is going to say it uh, the, similar to Mark, but without the cryptic code. He's going to see, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple. When you see it in the temple. Mark, as you're going to see, when you see it standing uh, where it does not belong. What do you mean? Where does it not belong? Do not put the trash can back where it does not belong. Or don't put the trash can in front of my door. It's like, whatever. I mean, that's a bad example. <laughs> but one, I just, you know, somebody, I just make these things up as the top of my head. But this is very specific. This is more cryptic. But and not, not everyone does this. But I like to date Matthew fairly early. I see something like 48 A.D. when he started putting this together. Uh, But I would think Matthew, Matthew, Luke, and Mark are all using the same material. They're just addressing it to a different audience. Does that make sense? That's not coming against Scripture. It's like, here's the story. Am I writing to you? Am I writing to Romans? Am I writing to Jews? Or am I writing to new believers? I'm going to tell the same story but I'm going to have, uh, there's certain things I'm going to emphasize or leave out. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all using the same thing. Mark and Matthew are very close, except what Matthew says explicitly, Mark's kind of like, you know, let the reader understand. You all kind of know what I'm talking about, right? But I'm not going to say it. Because we're in Rome in 65 AD, Peter's just been executed, and Vespasian's marching on Jerusalem. So, you see what I'm talking about when it happens? Let the reader understand. Matthew could just say it. Jesus said this. And we're still several years. Okay, a lot of information there, a lot of background. Not a lot of information, just a lot of background. Okay, here's our text that I haven't even read yet. Chapter 13, verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. Now, Matthew says, in the temple. He just says, where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, in context, this would be those that are Christ, the believers, 
if you're listening to this, if you're in Judea, if you're still in Jerusalem, worshiping on the Temple Mount, when you see this happen, you better run. Because the window is closing. You have, you've been occupying Jerusalem. You've been doing your job. You've been proclaiming this, the gospel. Uh, you've been sharing it with your neighbors. The church has been growing. But this is over. Judgment is coming. Get out. Let no one on the roof of his house go down. Now, okay, let me stop before I go any further. As I'm reading this, as if Mark is writing in 65 AD uh, in Rome, but in reference to what's taking place in Jerusalem, like in the next 12 months or so, or beginning to take place. That is the 30 AD teaching applied to 66 to 70 AD. It fits. But you can't, just like it was fulfilled in 167, it fits in 66 to 70 AD. Paul's going to start writing in Revelation. It's going to happen again in a similar way. So as I read this, I'm reading this as if it's taking place in 66 AD. But you could read the same thing and start putting it out into the future. And it's just what night of class are you coming to? I mean, you know, or, or which night are you listening to? Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world <coughs> until now and never to be equaled again. Now, see, that those, some of those things, that, that uh, there's certain things in these verses that for me project this into the future, into the end times. Because uh, had, there's never been a day like this from the beginning of the world. <coughs> well, there was the flood, like I've said before, there was the flood of Noah, which pretty much wiped everybody out. And no one even survived. There's nowhere to even run. It's just doll die, except you ate float for a year. But everybody else is dead. You can, you can run and hide. Those are pretty bad days. Yeah, but not as bad as Jerusalem being burnt in 70 A.D., well, I think so, because the Roman soldiers marched back home to their families, and, they, and the people in North America didn't even know what happened in Jerusalem. So that was pretty bad. And to say that the fall of Jerusalem was worse than the days before Jesus returns, where you've got the bowls and the seal, or the, the seals, the bowls, the tr trumpets and the bowls being poured out, and all the disaster. I mean, earth, the earth is basically going extinct before jesus delivers it it's 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 like days away from there's the water's gone the air's polluted it's dead bodies everywhere blood's in the water it's like yeah but the burning of the temple in jerusalem in 70 a.d was worse than that uh, it, it can't be so it was bad but yet this is projecting something bigger <clears throat> then it says if the lord had not cut short those days no one would survive now i won't get there tonight <clears throat> but uh, he could cut short the days if he ha doesn't return and just lets history run its course. Like I said, all humanity will be dead because there's no water left. Even, well, yeah, but I'm a believer. I'm waiting for Jesus. You can't survive without water, without what, you know, you've, you're losing everything. But in the context of 6670 AD, yeah, oh boy, <coughs> Nero is the emperor and he sends Vespasian Vespasian, I'll just scribble, Vespasian to Jerusalem he, to, to plunder the temple. He ends up uh, arrest, uh, 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 capturing Josephus, one of the generals of the Jews, who then sides with him. Josephus sides with him. And he knows, and he, we've got his writings, he knows the Jews are in trouble. He knows they can't fight the, the Romans. He even talks about a, a prophecy that told the Jews uh, to get out of the city because this, this destruction is coming. He, he talks about a, a teaching that was in Jerusalem. He talks about John the Baptist. He mentions Jesus, talks about James, the one we just finished on Sunday morning. So Josephus is now with Vespasian. During this time, uh, Nero, in 67, uh, 68, spring of 68, Nero kills himself because the Praetorian Guard's hunting him around Rome because he's gone crazy. He's totally crazy. Uh, Notice I'm not making any uh, uh, current political statements here. I'm just passing this by. Nero is gone. 
and he, there, and he ends up stabbing himself in the throat. One, two, three emperors come after him, like they last a month, two months, and they all die, get killed. And finally, when the third one dies, in Jerusalem, as Vespasian's attacking Jerusalem, his troops, the, his, the legions, declare Vespasian as emperor. Say, okay, this is enough of this mess. You need to be the emperor. Now, one of his generals is his son Titus. Uh, Vespasian then takes some of his soldiers, goes down to Egypt, sails on Rome, and is welcomed as the new emperor. So Vespasian is now the emperor. Titus is now the head general, and Titus is the one who burns Jerusalem. Now, Vespasian is setting up his family line. Titus, his son, is going to be the next emperor. Titus has a little brother named Domitian, And Domitian is going to be the emperor after Titus. So Vespasian has taken over Rome. He's the emperor. Titus finishes up the war in 70 AD. They they have to finish Masada up by 73 AD. But basically, they could have just continued. But because Vespasian is trying to set up his line, the Flavian line, Josephus even becomes a member of the family. He's adopted into the family. The Flavian line of, of emperors... Um, they say, some commentators will say, that's how it got cut short. Instead of staying there and finishing off Jerusalem, they all rushed back for a big grand procession, the triumphal procession. That's where you get the Arch of Titus. Uh, Josephus records the parade of all the treasures of the temple, all the, the captives, just all. And they're showing, it's, 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 uh, it's not just Rome celebrating the victory over the Jews. It's this family showing the Romans, we have done a great deal. We are your leaders. Clap for us. And, and Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian were all on the same float. I think Domitian was riding a white horse in front of it or something. But these three guys all came in the big, in a, in a float. I mean, we're talking about a float that was carried in, and they all, everything was dressed up, a big parade. They're throwing people bread, throwing them coins. They're having slave auctions. Slaves are like a dollar a piece that day. I mean, really, I mean, there's so many people being sold. And it was the, the defeat of the Jews. And so they would have rushed back to establish their dominion that was going to continue up until 98 A.D., Nine, yeah, 98 A.D. I mean, okay, let I me mean, think. 90, I get, uh, yes, 98 A.D. Yes, 98 A.D. Because, the reason I'm saying that, because Domitian puts John, the apostle, after the fall of Jerusalem, Titus rules, then his little brother becomes the emperor. Domitian finally has enough of the church and the Apostle John, he puts him on the Isle of Patmos. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. Uh, And I want to say that was like 96 A.D. But in 98 A.D., the the Romans are done with this family. And a guy named Trajan, uh, the Senate assassinates Domitian, or Earl, he stabbed in his office signing papers. He stabbed in his office signing papers. And Trajan becomes the emperor and releases John off the Isle of Patmos. So that ends the, the line that began and ran from, say, 68 A.D. up until 98 A.D. That was the family line. And that may be, that's one way of reading this verse, and that's not the topic of what we're talking about. <coughs> um, Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, if those are the days of the Jewish wars, uh, they just would have stayed there and kept beating up on the Jews. We've got to get back home and establish our line. Or if it's eschatological and we're just going to run out until the whole world's dead, uh, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them, if it be this war or if it be in the future. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Now that would fit in with the ideal of, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. Now if anyone says to you, no, no, look, here's the Christ, 
don't believe it because the Christ has come and he says when you see the, uh, the abomination of desolation or when you see Jerusalem surrounded, flee. Don't be deceived because if someone's inside the city says, oh, no, no, we're going to win this. The Messiah is coming. He's here. He's one of our leaders. He's a general. He's the priest. Uh, the Messiah is going to do not believe it because the Messiah came and told you, flee because i'm going to destroy this place and if those who are being destroyed say oh don't run away we found the messiah they haven't because i'm the messiah jesus and i'm going to burn the place down and if they say oh no he's here he can't be they're lying to you so if they say now again if that's in the future or if that's in 67 68 a.d and the jews are like we better or the christians are like we better get out of here they say no 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 the messiah is right here in the temple it's like no, he's not, because he told you this was going to happen, and then he ascended to heaven and says, run when you see this happening. And it's happening, get out. That's where Mark would say, okay, you understand what's going on right here? Let the reader understand. I've got to be real careful. I've got to walk lightly, because I'm writing about this guy sending this guy to destroy Jerusalem, but this guy is killing us here in Rome, so he's got to be kind of cryptic about it. At that time, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. There's three times that it says, elect being deceived, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So that, again, I've told you everything. This is what's going to take place if it's 66 AD. Verse 24, but in those days following that distress now in those days is we talk about in these days or following this distress now is this distress the seven-year tribulation we're going to talk about here eventually and then the son of man is going to come back or is this the time of trouble he's talking about and then after this this takes place but in those days following that distress the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light. Now, right here, this is going to be really hard not to get away from eschatology here because these are Isaiah verses, uh, Daniel verses. These are verses about the end of time. This, you can tie this all that we just read, and I'm going to do a better job. You can tie this together with historical events in 6670 AD and yet project it into the future and definitely project it back to 167 BC. But once you get to this verse, you're really, you're out into the future. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And that is, again, definitely the second coming. Now, if someone, and there are those that do it, if they're going to push this into the, the Jewish wars, then the coming of the Son of Man is Vespasian and Titus and the Roman legions. And just like God destroyed Jerusalem with Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord destroyed Jerusalem, but Nebuchadnezzar did it. The Lord brought the people out of captivity, out of, out of uh, Persia, out of Babylonian captivity, but he, it was Cyrus who did it. Uh, Vespasian and Titus are doing the damage, but it's the son of man who's doing it through these guys leave that hanging and put that on the shelf i don't think that is what this is talking about because again we do have uh the same teaching which exactly the same teaching just addressed to a different audience in matthew and luke so you at some point matthew mark and luke have to you can have the separate audiences understanding it but at some point they've all got to say come back to the original statement of jesus you can't have jesus in it you can have that prophetic element but you can't have it saying two different things just because you're changing his words okay with that being said we begin the notes uh, here we go chapter 13 verse 14 the first thing you notice right there is something that's worth pointing out uh, i'll read it right here in the english standard version uh, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now what can simply be taking place right there is the cryptic part that Mark would be doing right here. I've got it in a square. See the square, the noun, 
the or subject, it's the noun, but it's a subject, it's in the neuter sense. Abomination of desolation. So the abomination, abomination is neuter. When you see the abomination of desolation, and it says right here, uh, spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing where not it should the one, okay, where, where it should not. The word standing is the, the, the verb or the, the masculine perfect participle. Uh, standing is masculine, which means he. When you see the abomination of desolation, neuter, standing he. So this neuter becomes a man, a masculine person standing. Again, he is standing there. And that could be why uh, Mark put this editorial note, let the reader understand. This is bad. This does, we need to fix this. We need a, an editor would change this. Mark is saying no. Because this abomination of desolation, we're going to look at what this means right here. Generally, abomination would mean something that, uh, like an idol, something that is profane, that causes desolation. Desolation is abandonment, shutting down. Like when they offered, like Antiochus Epiphanes offered uh, pig blood or pig meat on the altar, it was an abomination with the Zeus pillar, Zeus image, and it desecrated, meaning shut, they shut the doors. We, we're done. We can't, we can't use this anyway. It's unclean. The Jews can offer any more sacrifices. They shut down the services. So the abomination that causes desolation, that is right here, that is this, this is a man. A man is going to do this. Some man is going to come in, Matthew says, into the temple where he does not belong, Mark is going to say, and when that man shows up, the temple's no longer useful. God is done with the temple. Now, that is, again, there's a man coming. Is it Vespasian? Is it Titus? Is it one of the zealots? Is it the priest the zealots are going to appoint? Whatever this is, he, this man, shows up. If you're a Christian, having listened to Jesus' words, you're going to say, there he is, we're leaving. Now, in 66 to 70 A.D., Jesus is addressing, in 30, if he's, if in 30 A.D., he's addressing the 66 A.D. wars. He's talking to Christians leaving because the Jews are going to see him or he and say, it's the Christ. And they're going to rush into, the, into Jerusalem, into the temple, and fight the Romans. The Christians are going to say, you're not going to win this. Christ has says, you're in rebellion. And he says, leave. They're saying, don't leave. Here he is. We're going to be fine. God is going to come deliver us. We've got faith in our God. They say, we got faith in your God's Messiah who told us to leave. So you're going to have this, this break. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Very clearly, the Christians leave and go to Decapolis and join the church there into the mountains in uh, Transjordan. Um, the people that have rejected Jesus, rejected the apostles, rejected the church, they are waiting for their Messiah. And when they see Rome coming, they're going to brave up just like Hezekiah. They're going to stand firm like Moses. We're going to come into the holy place, and you can't take this. And they're going to have some idea, a claim of a, a man, a Messiah or something. And it's like, yeah, we can. And Rome is going to just walk right over them. And they're not going to understand, where, where was God? Where was God? Okay. Uh, point one. This section answers both questions, when and what will be the sign. Reference to Daniel. Uh, boy, I really want to read these. <coughs> oh, this could be ugly. But we, sh we have to do this. We have to do this. Because we've got to go back to the, uh, the foundation. And... Because Jesus is going to mention, Daniel, the prophet said, uh, Daniel chapter 9, I've got the verse written right there, but I don't want to just read the verse, I want to read the whole chapter. Heck, I might teach the whole book. Um, <laughs> chapter 9 is where you're going to have the 77s. Now remember, Mark is inserting the masculine he there for the abomination of desolation. So, the abomination of desolation, when Mark addresses it, is a man that's going to go where he should not be. Matthew says it's into the most holy place. 
in Daniel chapter 9, you've got the 77s, which uh, marks out very quickly 70 weeks uh, or 70 periods of seven, which equals 490 years. We're in Daniel chapter 9. It's going to talk about what takes place in this. And again, I, I, I would have to teach <coughs> through this, and I'm, I'm going to resist this. Uh, but chapter 9 of Daniel, <coughs> verse 24, uh, the angel Gabriel speaks to Daniel. This is an angel instructing Daniel. He says in verse 24 of chapter 9, 77s are decreed for your people. That would be Israel and your holy city, Jerusalem. And it's what's going to take place in those 490 years. 490 years in Jerusalem. You're going to do these things. And again, we could break them all down. Uh, you're going to finish transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision prophecy. That means to end the revelation because we've finished it. And to atone or anoint the most holy. And anoint the most holy could be the most holy place or anoint the most holy, the Christ, the anointed one, the Christos. So you got 490 years. Verse 25, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's probably going to be Artaxerxes in the book of Ezra, or in Nehemiah, we've talked about that, and we will again, uh, like 458 or uh, 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 445 B.C., Artaxerxes gives a decree, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. So between... Artaxerxes decree until the Christ comes, the king comes, which would be 30 AD. If you do the math, we could work this all out from Artaxerxes decree until Jesus' baptism in 26 AD or 30 AD, however you want to play it down. There's different numbers you can work with. Uh, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, or basically 69 of the seven, which leaves one seven left. Um. <clears throat> Uh, verse 27, okay, anointed one come. Okay, after the 62 sevens, at the 69th week, the anointed one, which is the word in Greek, Christ, the Messiah, meaning the anointed one, Christ, will be cut off. That means killed violently, cut off. He's dead, he's, he's removed from the people and will have nothing. So the king comes to his people at the right time and they kill him and he receives nothing. Again, this is Daniel writing, uh, you know, for what, what are we going to say, uh, 545, something like that, B.C. I've probably got it written down here somewhere. 439 B.C., Daniel's writing this. Um, <clears throat> and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that's probably the Romans destroying the sanctuary in 70 A.D., the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant. Now notice, the ruler who will come, uh, the people of the ruler who will come. So the people that destroy the city are the people that will produce the ruler who's going to come. And that ruler could be, he's not in the scene yet, but that's the coming Antichrist. Verse 27, this is him showing up. He, this coming Antichrist, or this ruler, now some would say this is the Christ confirming a covenant, or the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So for the last seven, there's going to be a treaty made between what I'm going to say, the Antichrist, and the Jewish people <clears throat> for seven years. In the middle of the seven, at three and a half years, he, this ruler who will come from the people who destroyed the city, the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering. He'll shut down the temple, which again is interesting because there's the temple mount right there today, destroyed in 70 AD and burnt to the ground, left abandoned, and now the Dome of the Rock sits there. But now the Antichrist has to shut down the sacrifices, which means the temple's going to have to be rebuilt, which again, we've we got a lot of figures and mysteries to take place you know and again that's another whole story but in the middle of the seven he will put an end to the sacrifice and offerings and when he puts an end on the wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation he will enter the temple and set something up an idol an altar an offering a picture of himself and will set that up and that abomination that idol 
will cause desolation. The Jews just shut it down. We're, we're done. Well, he's already shut down it, but they can't use it. He's going to defile the temple, which appears to be in the future, yet today. Now again, Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled this exactly in 167. And he set up an image of Zeus, pig meat on there, and they shut it down. The problem with that being a fulfillment, the last fulfillment, is Jesus says in 30 AD, look for this. And we'd say, wait, wait, that already happened. We studied Jewish history. It happened in 167 BC, before Christ, Christ. Uh, and uh, he said, well, no, it's going to happen again in the future. Are you talking about 66 AD? Doesn't sound like it, because they're going to destroy Jerusalem, and now it's going to happen in the future. Until the end, okay, and he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So that first verse of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, seems to be, I'm going to just write end times instead of, you know, the word eschatology. That's the first one. Go to chapter 11. This is clearly because Jesus says, as spoken by the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, uh, verse 31. Oh boy, this is a, yeah, this is a, a, a interesting long chapter. We've got to go all, we got to go from the Persian kings all the way through the Maccabean revolt. Uh, and so this would be, if you don't mind, if you look in chapter 11, verse, chapter 11, verse 2, uh, the, the angel says, now then I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia uh, after Cyrus. It's going to be Cambyses, Smyrnas, and Darius. Three more kings will appear, and then a fourth, which is Xerxes. That's how it begins. We're way back in, you know, 450. Then he's going to march all the way through. The Persian will be overthrown by the Greeks, the coming of Alexander, and that, that's going to be mentioned here. <clears throat> and then you're going to, he's going to go almost like a, 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 an encyclopedia of the Seleucid and Ptolemy kings, the king of the south, Ptolemy, fighting the king of the north, the Seleucids, back and forth from, you know, 300, the, the 200s. And then finally he gets up into verse 29, and I'm sorry to rush through this. I'll go to verse 28. Because verse 28, it just says, the king of the north, that would be Syria, the, the, the Seleucid Empire, that's a Greek empire split up from Alexander. The, and it says, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. And that king uh, of the north, as you go through this, it comes down to Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, the one who's going to begin the Maccabean revolt. His heart is set. He feels like he's trying to, uh, you know, a, a bring woke to Jerusalem. And they don't want to go woke. They want to stay at the law of Moses. And since they won't go woke, he's going to say it's illegal to follow the law of Moses. You be woke or Hellenized. Uh, become Greek. You've got to dress like Greeks think like Greeks, worship like Greeks. I can't have an empire, and he's having trouble from the north, Seleucians having trouble with the empire in the south, the Egyptian, the Ptolemies, and they both try to control this middle ground, Jerusalem, because it's like the land bridge between the north and the south, and these guys just want to follow the law of Moses. And he says, okay, I can't have division in my empire. He comes against the covenant. They can't sacrifice uh, they can't circumcise. They can't follow the law of Moses. He brings all. He kills people. There's a lot of resistance here. A lot of martyrdom. A lot of endurance. A lot of Jewish examples of bravery here take place. But nonetheless, at the appointed time, and this would be 167, he will invade the south again, or 168, invade the south again, Ptolemy in Egypt. But this time, the outcome will be different from that which was before. Ships from the west. And this is the rising power of Rome. Antiochus Epiphanes is there pressuring Ptolemy. And about that time, Roman ships and the general, a Roman general shows up and says, what are you doing here? Because Rome got their grain from Egypt. And the, and the, and the, and the Roman, uh, 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 yeah, Gaius Pompeius Lanius, Lanius was the general that shows up historically this is report, this is prophesying it historically and he comes up to Antiochus Epiphanes and says make a decision are you going to invade or are you going to go home are you going to submit and cooperate with us or are you going to cause us trouble he says well I I, I need to think about it 
He says, take your time. Takes his sword, draws a circle in the sand around Antiochus Epiphanes and says, as long as you make your decision before you leave that circle, you can take as long as you want. And so you've got the forces of rising Rome there to defend Ptolemy in the south, and this guy from the north, Antiochus Epiphanes, has come down who wants to stop the Jewish covenant and get them on his side, is now totally embarrassed, and he's got to just pack up and go home. On his way home, going from Egypt up through Judea, up, through, up the coast, um, the ships from the west coastland will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant, the Law of Moses, the Temple Mount. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. If you'll be woke, or I should say, if you'll be Hellenized, I'll give you a tax break. If you're going to hold to the covenant, I'm going to bring my persecution. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. There's no way this is, is, is an eschatological event. This happened historically in the book of Maccabees in Greek writing. Uh, in prophecy, it happened in 167. And he, he puts an end to the daily sacrifice. Uh, the abomination that causes desolation is set up with flattery. He'll corrupt those who have violated the covenant. If you'll violate the covenant, I'll honor you. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. You will stand against the same. This is Daniel or the angel telling Daniel to warn the people of this time, when you see this individual, stand against him. History's got to take place, but you cannot collapse. Uh, those who know their God will firmly uh, stand against him. Those who, now watch this, are, are you ready? Those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a little time they'll fall by the sword, be burned or captured or plundered. That's the result of standing for God at that time. You're going to make many wise, but in the process they're probably going to be plundered, burnt, killed. They're going to die because that's what, where we're at in history. When they fall, they'll receive a little help. That may be the reference to the Maccabean Revolt. And many who are not sincere will join them. That's the corruption of the Maccabean Revolt when it becomes a political movement and corrupt people come in and because they're starting to win, they come in and side with the Maccabees. It becomes the Hasmoneans. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless. So some of the wise will stumble. Why? Because they're going to be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. The next verse, verse 36, The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against God of gods. Now that is not Antiochus Epiphanes because shortly after that, right after those events, Antiochus Epiphanes is plundering another temple and gets killed. And he's gone. And the whole thing dissipates back into the has the jews regain control in fact they they make this into a a nation that makes a covenant or a treaty with rising rome the solutions fade away and that's the end of that story but the next verse says the king will do as he pleases well no he didn't because he died this king is the future king the antichrist he'll exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods he'll be successful now we're now we're definitely into what i'd say eschatology in those verses but you see right there the second chapter 11 is definitely 167 bc the abomination causes desolation i've got two minutes and one more verse from daniel chapter 12 uh chapter 12 <coughs> okay this uh, chapter 12 verse it, it's it, it's it's fairly simple now it is it is the end. Um, there is going to be that, se that 70th week. It's going to be divided in half, three and a half years. Three and a half years is 42 months. 42 months times 30 is 1,260 days. The Antichrist, if you've got a seven-year period right here, at the halfway point, now you've got three and a half years at this point right here at the midway point i got verses from the new testament the antichrist is going to shut down the temple worship that he made a treaty with the jews that they could worship for seven years he stops at the halfway point 
he then sets himself up in the temple, Paul is going to say, and makes himself God, claims to be God, and there's going to be three and a half years left, which is also called 42 months, or is also called 1,260 days. Now, that explains this verse right here. As the book of Daniel closes, <laughs> Daniel says in verse 8, chapter 12, verse 8, this is, the, this is Daniel closing down his book. You ever heard me close down a Bible study? It's kind of like a Bible class. It's like, I, I'm really not sure what I believe. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's like, we got to kind of start again next week. Well, look at Daniel. We've got 12 chapters. The angel's been ta- an angel is instructing him. Daniel says in chapter 12, verse 8, I heard, uh, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? That, that sounds horrible and confusing. How's this all end? This is Daniel, the great prophet. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed and sealed. Go your way. Yeah, they're closed. They're sealed. You can't understand it. But I'm supposed to teach this. Just tell them what it says. Uh, the, uh, the, the words are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined. Now, that's exactly how we ended the Maccabean revolt. Uh, that you're, what, this was having to believers in life. They're purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. They will not change. None of the wicked will understand. Let the reader understand that the wicked won't understand. But those who are wise will understand now why here's the verse i'm looking for from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished from the time the daily sacrifice is abolished are you talking about antiochus epiphanies or or the future Uh, in this case he's talking about the future from the time that uh the uh uh from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up so right here the sacrifices are ended the abomination that causes desolation, the idol that shuts down the temple is set up. There's going to be, now watch this, there's going to be 1,290 days. You mean 1,260 days. No, that's until here. Then there's going to be 30 days more. There's going to be 1,000. So this ends here after 1,260 days, but the abomination of desolation remains in the temple according to this, for 30 more days. So 1,290 days, and then we're cleaning out the temple. This is after Jesus returns. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. For 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. So, okay, 1,335 days. 1,300 and 35 days is that is that 45 days right so help me out here i'm going to add plus 45 so there's 30 days this is somehow the end of the 70th week there's going to be a 30 day i don't clean up whatever before they get to the temple to clean that out and then there's going to be 45 more days and if you make it to right there 1335 days it says blessed Blesses one who makes it to uh, the 1,335 days. Which probably means this right here is some kind of judgment taking place on the world. And if you make it through that period of judgment, evaluation, you're blessed. You're in the kingdom. There is the kingdom. But the abomination is set up right here. There's 1,260 days, the last three and a half years of the 70th week. But there's going to be a 30-day period. And then the abomination is removed. And then there's going to be another 45 days. And if you make it there, you're on the team. You may make it to here. Uh, you may not make it through the cleanup period. But if you do, you still got to face judgment. And after judgment, it's like, it may not be here. Sorry, you lose. Uh, and that now, just because we're in the book of Daniel, here it is. The last verse. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you'll rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And that's the end of the book of Daniel. The whole point of what we did right there, uh, that was chapter 12. Those are three references to the abomination of desolation. I didn't get, like I said, I didn't think I was going to get through that verse. We got to go back and look at it. Uh, 
the first one definitely talking about the end. The last one definitely talking about the end because it's even in the time scale. This one is definitely talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Now Jesus mentions it again after this is fulfilled and you've got the terrible destruction of the Temple Mound in 66 to 70 AD which has to fit in with it somehow but you've still got this here uh, from Daniel and then we haven't even got to Paul addressing this exact same thing yet in the future. So uh, please come back next week and we will finish this. Uh, what is the outcome of all this? Go your way, Galen. Bible study is over. We'll come back next week and continue. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for the insight that you provided with your scriptures. We do ask that we would handle it diligently, that we would not add to it or take away from it, but allow it to speak to us and reveal to us your will, your attitude, and the things that we need to be looking forward to, the things that we need to be able to endure, and the place that we can go to find strength to become the people you want us to be at this time in history. Again, we thank you for this opportunity to live at this time and ask again that you'd strengthen us to become the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.